0: Oh, so we're in James, the book of James we're going to cover today, so buckle up. It is going to be a ride. The title is Wisdom for Trials. Uh, It's definitely God's wisdom for trials. And James' uh, motto for wisdom in trials is this. In trials, we need to be quick to hear, quick to hear. Put your hands on your ear, quick to hear, hey, what you say, quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow to anger. We have a challenging message today because many of these things are very hard to do in the midst of Trial. In fact, oftentimes I'm slow to hear, fast to speak, and very fast to be angry in my trial. And all of us are in trial because we all live in a suffering, broken world. So all of us have trial. In this world you have troubles, trials, but take heart, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Meaning that he is the gatekeeper to the trials that come to us. And he chooses and uses those trials to form us and shape us and train us for his all good and his glory. And our culture and our minds say, I do not want a trial. I want smooth sailing I want everything to go perfectly. And, and when we don't go perfectly, we speak quickly and say, why? <laughs> Sorry, I just probably blew out the internet feed. Uh, why? And we mope and we throw. Pu- and who do we usually get angry at? It's amazing we get angry at God. The one who's making the trial work for good So be quick to hear ears. If you're a kid or an adult, you should grab your ear. If you have a hearing aid, maybe not. But if you're quick to ear, slow to speak. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. All right, let's get into the text here. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 2. James has written to Christians all across uh, the known world of the time, uh, specifically Jewish Christians, but it is just as much relevant for us today. And he starts with a very profound, very hard statement. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, or that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What? <laughs> oh man, you got, you, you're telling me I got to count it all joy? Most of my time I spend it not counting it joy, but just being bitter. Just complaining. Do you know there is a healthy way to process those emotions? It's called lament. Lament is, is talking to God about the problem. But, but the problem is is oftentimes we talk to God about the problem, but it's in a way of just blaming him. And really what we should do is we should express those emotions and those things that are going on. And then what we have to do, this is the hard part, is we make actions of trust and release. We declare the truth of what God is doing in this. That he's working this trial for my good. That this is forming me, training me, building me up in the Lord. Even in this evil, what Satan means for evil, what the enemy means for evil, God is using for what, George? For good. And so I need to count it all joy that this is for my good. And yet, oftentimes, I do not count it all joy. I don't lament, I complain. (laughs) I don't turn to God and express my feelings, declare His truth, and then trust Him. I just complain and I blame. And oftentimes, I blame the very hand that is feeding me, that is sustaining me, that is saving me. And that's just the way the enemy wants it. He wants to drive a wedge between you and your Savior, and he wants to immobilize you in your faith. But that is not who you are, and he does not have the power to do that only when we give it to him. And so my encouragement to you today is to count it all joy in your trials by being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is how we count it all joy. If we do not do these things, It'll be hard to be joyful. It'll be hard to keep perspective. Now James is very proverbial. It has a lot of little sayings. But I believe all his proverbial sayings build on this topic of trials that we're talking about today. So what do we do? How do we do this in our trials? How do we have joy in our trials? Well, quick to... Slow to, and slow to, anger. This is how we have joy in all trials. Verse 19 of 1, chapter 1 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every one person be quick to, slow to, and slow to. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Often our anger produces the opposite. It drives a wedge and drives us deeper into despair, deeper into hopelessness. So in trials, we need to be quick to to hear God, then obey. It's not just about hearing, it's about obeying what God says. Secondly, we need to be slow to speak our minds. (laughs) <laughs> slow to speak our minds. And thirdly, slow to anger in our no trials. Did you know often speaking feeds the anger? It's like what, what st- st- stores it up. So first we need to be quick to hear God and then obey. Don't turn with me to James chapter 1 verse 23. James chapter 1 verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently looks at his natural face in the mirror and sees that huge pimple. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forget what he was like. He's like clueless. It doesn't change him. It doesn't do anything. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law that saves, the law of the gospel, the law that Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount, for the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hero but who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. When we hear God, do we forget what to do? Or do we what? We obey. We, we claim the truth that he is declaring, and we apply it to our lives. And one way we do this is in our relationships. We hear what God has to say about how we should interact with one another, and we obey that. When we hear God, then we obey In all relationships. They're having trouble in their relationships of prejudice and partiality. James 2, 8 through 9 says, If you really fulfill the royal law, that law of the gospel, saving you, redeeming you, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show prejudice and partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressions. We're all, as all human beings, as one race, and we're all on the same field. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us, though we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, are created in the image of God. Black, white, yellow, green, blue, purple gender dysphoria, whatever it is, all created in the image of God, all sinners. So we should not show partiality to one another. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. But yet we do this all the time, don't we? We don't love well. So in our relationships, we need to heal God, then obey. And give people the dignity of being created in the image of God. That means we listen to them. And then we recognize that we're all broken and in need of Jesus. And so we direct everyone to Jesus. All right, we're too quick to heal, we're quick to heal, then obey. Our faith is validated. Our faith, what God is doing, is validated. Listen to this. James 2, 15 through 18 says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? Right? Faith works out in awe actions So by also by faith itself if it does not have works it is dead but someone will say you have faith i have works show me your faith apart from your works and i will show you my faith by my works You see when we act in faith and obey god our faith is Validated. It says, yeah, you have faith. Because look at the fruit that God is producing within your heart and within your soul. And sometimes when we're in the, the world of doubt and in a world of hope, we need to look back and say, yes, I do have faith. Because look at what God did yesterday. Look at what God did last month. Look at what God did five years ago. Look what God did. You see? We have these great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. We have a great cloud of witnessable stories, sorry, uh, that have building our faith, conforming our faith, so that we can walk in faith in the moment. All right. So we need to be quick to, and then, well, yeah, we need to be quick to hear, then obey. So we don't want to just be a hero of the war, do we? Who forgets what he's like. Many of you may walk up out of here and forget what you saw today, right? It makes no impact on you during the week. I, I, that's between you and God. I'm not, I'm not going to hunt you down on that. But it does happen to us, right? Right? We go into our devotional time, we read the scripture, reflect on it, then we walk away and we don't change. Or we don't, emotions or perspectives, they're not changed. I'm running out of time. We need to be slow to speak our oh minds. What, the first thing comes to your mind, the first thing you want to do? Uh, lament it. You need to slow down and lament it. You need to take that thing that's in your mind, that, those emotions and those, all those things that are coming up, and you need to lament them. You need to turn to God. You need to make the, the, the complaint. You need to speak the truth. Speak the truth and trust God with the results. And sometimes you don't know the truth in a situation, so then you need to go to the ward, and you need to talk to your brothers and sisters to figure out the truth. So we need to be slow to speak all minds in trials. James chapter 3, we're going to read 1 through 10. says, not many of you should become teachers. What does a teacher do mainly? What do I, I talk. I do a lot of talking. I mean, I do a lot of studying before I talk, so I speak well. But if I'm up here and I say nothing, if I kept doing this, you guys would get up and start leaving. Right? I mean, the silence is awkward. I mean, right? A teacher speaks. Okay? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This verse terrifies me. I think God's grace is sufficient. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a mature man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also as they go. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, all right, this is it. So also, the, everybody stick out their tongue. Come on. Stick out your tongue. All right, so also the tongue is a small member, and it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set afire by a blaze, a small fire. Yesterday, it took a little bit of fire to get that started, and then the guys fed it all day, and it, like, was a blaze. I think they had even a hard time getting close to it. The tongue sets our lives on fire by the things it says and the things it conforms in its speech. It has the ability to bring life and the ability to bring death to the situation. The, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among all members, talking about our body, staining the whole body, setting it on fire, uh, the entire course of life, and it is set on fire by hell. It's not a good thing. It's not something that in and of ourselves we can do anything about. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Last night I was seeing if anybody could stick out their tongue and touch their nose. Nobody could. The only way I can stick out my tongue and touch my nose is like this. I pulled it off,. See? Some of us have really long tongues that can touch our nose, but maybe you're not going to demonstrate that. The tongue is untameable. No human can tame the tongue. So who can tame the tongue? It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not be so. How do we stop this? How do we become slow to speak? Who tames our speech? Says no human. That means that's not me. Who tames our speech? Who changes the the the, the attributes of the tongue? Turn with me to James 3:13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good contact, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not speak. You see that? Boasting. How do I boast? With my mouth. Do not speak. And be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is an earthly, unspiritual, demonic For where jealousy and selfishness, ambition exists, there will be every disorder and every vile practice. But wisdom from above, and we're looking for wisdom for trials, right? That's the whole title of this sermon. To be able to count it all joy, to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger in trials. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I'm slow to speak. And then I'm saying, is what I'm speaking within these things? Is what I'm thinking honorable? What I'm thinking, pure, is what I'm thinking and going to say for the building up of the body of Christ. Is it for the building up of my own soul? Or is it going to buy into the lie that the enemy is selling me, that God is against me? But God is not against you. God is for you. And he who freely gave his own son will do everything in his power, which is unstoppable, to bring you into the fullness of Christ. This is the reality. This is the purpose of the trial. And I know some of you have had horrendous things happen to you. And you're challenged in the trust and the love of God. Because how could a good God let this evil happen to his people? And right now, by the thousands, Christians are being killed and murdered, raped and pillaged. Right now. That is going on. And we have to face that reality that God is using even those evil things for good purposes in their lives. And the very evil things that are either in my past or in my present or will be in my future are being used for good. And I will be tempted to speak the falsehood that they are against me and that God is not for me. And the truth is is he is for me. He has brought peace between me and God. And he is using this for my good. So we must be slow to speak and to speak the truth. And when we're slow to speak, to speak the truth, then we do not stimulate this anger. It, it slows down and it, and it directs anger in a more positive way. It directs the anger maybe towards the sin and, and towards the the. Immaturity in our lives rather than against God. All right, so we need to be quick to hear than obey. We need to be slow to speak our minds. We need to be slow to anger. In trials, we need to be slow to anger. And so oftentimes in our trial, the first thing we begin to blame, the first person who gets the punch from our verbal mind is the one who died for you. The one who took that very sin and that very evil that is affecting you and and pressing in on you and nailed it to the cross. That's who we get angry at. Is that crazy? You know, really, that seems like some type of insanity. But oftentimes, you've seen that cat that you caught. There's a wild, feral cat, and you're trying to give him food and water, and he's like, right? You're just trying to feed him. Give him a better life. God has caught each one of us. And he's forming us, and he's changing us, and he's shaping us. And we need to be slow to anger in that process. So how does one be slow to anger? There's three things. I got, wow, I got ten minutes. Three things. Turn with me to James chapter 4. It's not going to be a fun answer, guys. It's going to be a hard one. But James chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Usually when you're fighting, you're angry, okay? So what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your desires are in conflict. they're, They're misaligned. You desire and do not have, so you motor. And this idea of motoring is, is hatred. It's not physical motor. I'm sure some people do that, but for us it's about hating. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, this is the idea. We make everything, the good gifts of God that he's given us, more important than him. We get all upset in our trial because our comfort has been disturbed. And how dare somebody disturb my comforts? And so now I'm mad. And now I'm a two-year-old taller that gets down on the ground, kicking his feet, demanding his rights. We've made our comfort, we've made our health, we've made our relationships fill-in-the-blank more important than our relationship with God. We often are a very adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is the enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You're working against him. You're walking against his purposes. The more you walk against his purposes, the more miserable you will be. Because the work that God has completed in you or started in you, he will complete it. Even if you're kicking and screaming. So first we recognize our worldly passions. We recognize that we got our priorities all flipped around and all upside down and we've made idols of the good gifts that God's give us, given us and those good gifts are more important than our growth. I don't like this message. I really don't, because I like the things I want, and I want the things I want. But we must recognize our worldly passions, and in recognizing our worldly passions, we must humble ourselves. Turn to James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, but he gives more grace. (laughs) He gives what? grace church grace his favor his power to enable he does not give you what you deserve which is amazing 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 grace that though i over and over and over again throw my tantrums to god because I'm not happy with what he's doing in my life, and I think I have the right to demand what he do, he gives me grace when I humble myself and I turn to him. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, we do a lot of time, I think, time trying to resist the devil. We're resisting, resisting, and then we just like get ran over. And you know why I think that doesn't work most of the time is because we have not done the two, first two things. We haven't humbled ourselves. We still want what we want. We want to do what we want to do. We want to have it all way. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. And so, first, we must humble ourselves. Then we must submit to God. We must say, hey, I'm quick to heal, and I'm going to obey. And then, when we resist the devil, what's he do? He flees. Now, he might be back tomorrow or within 20 minutes, but we keep repeating this attitude and this place of humble dependence upon the good grace that God has extended to each and every single one of us in the trial that you're sitting in, you're walking in right now, today. Draw near to God, and He will reject you. Is that what it says? Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be torn to mourning and your joy to glue. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And He will transform you. He make you into the image of His Son. That's what it means by exalting you. Humble yourself. So to receive grace, it's through humility to obey. Oftentimes we want grace without the humility. We want to say, I am God and no one else. (laughs) I do what I want to do. I think what I want to say, do, say what I want to say. But we need grace and we need to humble ourselves before God. To have right perspective. That's what humility is. To have right perspective of ourselves. And the right perspective is that you were a sinner and you are now a saint. You were a sinner and you are now a saint. If you believe Jesus is Lord and confess with your uh, mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. So if you've done that, you are, were a sinner, now you are Saint, you have been given a new identity and you are a new creation, and that is a proper assessment of you. Sometimes we often sit there and say, I'm a sinner and I'm a wretched woman, and I know I'm just unlovable and unlikable, and nobody cares about me. And, and God definitely maybe loves me because He says He does, but I know I'm sure that He doesn't like me. You were a sinner, you're now a saint. And God likes you. God delights in you. He made you his creature. And he delights in you. So having that proper perspective, I was a sinner. I'm now a saint. This is who I am. This is my identity. Do I still make mistakes? Yeah, because he is not done being slow to angle in trials comes as we recognize our worldly passions in humility and receive the grace to obey being slow to angle in trials comes as we recognize our worldly passions in humility and receive grace to obey. See how we've came for, a circle. The first point is to be quick to hear and then obey. So if you're stuck in the cycle and you're stuck in the anger, this is what you need to do. Recognize that you are pursuing the wrong things. And expecting the wrong things of God, lay those aside, humble yourself, and say, God, I need you. Every hour I need you. Yet not I, but Christ in me. In trials, we need to be quick to hear God, then obey, slow to speak our minds. And slow to anger. This is the wisdom for trials that James has given us. This is the reality that we need to discipline ourselves by the grace of God to walk in. And then we can count it all joy. Then we can say, Yippee, I'm free. Because he's changing me. He's changing you. Trust him in the process. The trial is his training for you. He's not like, oh no, that happened, so let me uh, patch it up. No, this is hard, but he's the gatekeeper. And he only lets what he needs to use in your life, come through. Because he's sovereign. He's not acting in like, oh boy, now we get. he's not reactive, he's proactive. He's proactive to the evil that touches each one of us. And I know many of us say, why doesn't he just take it all away Right now, in this time. And he does it because he looks around and he sees souls that he wants to save. And so he is long and patiently waiting for many to come to. Repentance. There is a day coming where he will make it all right. Where we will see him and we will be like him. And all evil will be judged. All those who reject the cross will be judged. That day is coming. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.